Yeah, you can talk. You have a mask on, but you can talk. Um, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to get to spend some time with you this morning. I'm looking forward to sharing a few things with you. I've got to say, after Natalia's story, I don't think I'd be eating a brownie uh, for my reward after that experience. But, hey, you, she must have an iron stomach. I don't think I just if Glenn is watching, Glenn, I don't think I could have done it either. I would have let Natalia do it, too. That was a smart move. So, um, anyways, yeah, as gasps and sighs in the room. Um, but, anyways, we understand. We have a we have a dog that's not the smartest crayon in the box either. So, we totally get it. But, um, I'm going to talk to you about several things this morning. Uh, I do want to just thank all of our, our uh, worship team. Um, all of our leaders who continue through this difficult time to continue to show up, to continue to do their ministry. Um, what we know is that uh, we are starting school this week. No, we don't know how long that will be for or what that's going to look like through the rest of this semester. Um, we know that anxiety is high, and we know that um, hope right now is low. And so that is really across the board. I'll just tell you that uh, just about everybody I know is struggling in some way right now through all of this. So if you're struggling, it is not unusual. It is not weird. Um, as I, I uh, talk with a lot of pastors through the week, a lot of pastors, staffs are struggling. Um, and so I just want us to continue to be praying through this time. The hard thing is, is we don't necessarily know when everything's going to end. Um, I'm so glad to see all of you. It is an encouragement to me. I know for you at home, I fully understand and um, appreciate your caution. Um, I would love if, as the weather cools, we might find an opportunity to go back outside, do an outside service, uh, and that some may be interested in, in braving an outdoor service, but we're not going to do that while we all melt outside. So, um, But we'll... We'll kind of look into options for that and just more opportunities for us to be together, to encourage one another, and uh, just to continue to love each other through this time. We are hopeful that we're moving towards maybe an ending point. Uh, I don't know when that will happen. I don't know when we'll have children's ministry starting back, and um, I know many of you are kind of waiting for that to, to enter back personally as well. We'll just keep you updated as far as that goes for students. Um, I shared with our student leaders this week uh, that we are, that David and Stephanie are taking a sabbatical. Um, so over the next few weeks, they're going to be focused on themselves, their family, dealing with all the things that are going on around the world just like we are, and also doing some prepping and planning for the future. So um, in that time, our students are very excited to spend some time with me. Um, they didn't say that, but I'm assuming that that is the case. Uh, so we had a good time um, Wednesday night. Uh, we are not going to be doing anything youth-wise this coming Wednesday night and uh, because typically our youth have taken off the Wednesday that school starts. Um, and then the following Wednesday, we're going to be still watching everything, see what's happening in schools, what's happening with our students, also what just happening with all the numbers that we keep watching from the health department. Um, but we are hoping that not ne this coming Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, we'll return to um, student, a student group in the building um, where we'll meet in the event hall. We'll still spread out, still wear masks, um, but have a chance for our students to do more than just a Zoom call. So 
Um, I'll keep you updated on that, but for this Wednesday, we will not be doing anything, and then next Wednesday, we will start hopefully that if everything falls into place um, and we don't have another huge outbreak, which is possible. So uh, we'll be watching all of that. Uh, do be praying for several people in our church. Uh, I, I, we started a, a, a private journey church group um, right when the quarantine started, and you guys have really utilized that well. And what's, what I've enjoyed seeing as well, I haven't enjoyed that it, that it has been a need, but um, the amount of prayer requests that are coming through the journey group and then the number of people that are just jumping on praying and encouraging and asking about how things are going. Uh, I just would ask you to continue to do that, continue to be praying for several in our church, not just in our church, but also um, who are connected to people in our church. Um, so be just be praying for those as they are continuing to heal and those are, are continuing to, to battle sickness. Uh, it's just that's part of our role as a community is that we care for one another. We pray for one another. And so I'm just I'm thrilled um, to be able to see that. Uh, like some of you, I'm, I'm probably spending less time on Facebook right now than I usually would have. I think that's a good thing. I feel good about it. Um, I miss some things. So if you're hoping Mark has seen something as a result of you posting it on Facebook, do not make that assumption that I've seen it. Uh, it has been for some of my own health <laughs> to uh, just stay off of some social media right now. And part of that, what I want to talk to you about is how do we move forward in this way? Um, for me, part of it is I, I'm silencing some voices voices that push me in a way that God would not want me to go. I would encourage you to do the same. But in doing so, I want to talk to you about a story, and over this week and next week, we're going to actually go to the Old Testament, and we're going to see a consistent message from God that has been telling us, you need to follow the way that I put before you. Now, we've been talking about that pretty consistently for the last few weeks, uh, but but this, we're going to make a little bit of a turn, and today we're not just going to talk about the way as it's been described, um, especially in this point, which is kind of pre-Israel to the Hebrew people as they've come out of Egypt. Uh, but we're going to be looking at how does God say he's going to show us the way? How does he show us that? And then the, uh, the bigger question is, is do, do we listen? Do we trust? Do we believe that he's moving us in a good direction? Right now, I would say, and if we were to go around and ask you, do you feel like in the world today there is a, a high amount of trust or a low amount of trust in general? My guess is most people would say, yeah, there's probably not a lot of trust right now. Like, who do you trust? Uh, do we trust, you know, in politics? Which party do we trust? When we talk about doctors talking about coronavirus, which doctors do we trust? We trust some. We don't trust others. Do we trust other people? Do we trust people who are making decisions? The issue of trust is not just a cultural issue. It's not just a, a, an issue of what's going on in the world around us. The issue of trust is actually one of the greatest problems you and I will struggle with our entire lives is an issue of trust. And we're going to be looking at a period in Deuteronomy today. If you've got your Bible, if you want to follow along on version, you can do that. We're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 1. And I'm, I'm going to just read this account for you um, to begin with. But I want you to know that Deuteronomy is actually a, a really wonderful book. And if you are one that reads the Bible from cover to cover, uh, it's one that is it's easy to get caught up on and decide, I think I'm going to skip that one. <laughs> I think I'm going to skip Deuteronomy because Deuteronomy is, is really a lot of kind of rules. And I, what I want you to understand um, about what we're about to read together is that 
Moses wrote Deuteronomy for a group of people who had been enslaved for 400 years. Now, if you can imagine a group of people who have been enslaved with no representation, no understanding of how they're going to govern themselves, they follow everybody else's rules. They don't get to create their own rules. They don't even know how to interact with each other in some ways that a, a consolidated nation would. And we're talking about a people in the, that are numbering in the millions. So this was not just a small group that's leaving Egypt. Deuteronomy was written by Moses late in his life to remind them of the lessons he's been teaching them from that point forward. And if you get into the Deuteronomical Code, as it's sometimes called, that the law that we find in Deuteronomy, you'll find that much of it is just telling a group of people that have never been in charge of their own way of living life and their own nation and how to interact with each other. It's really teaching them how to do that. How do you live your life not as a slave? How do you live your life moving forward? And how do you understand this new life that God is promising you? How do you kind of live that out? And so Deuteronomy is a, is a, is a number of teachings from Moses, and his goal is to um, help them move forward knowing his time with them is coming to an end. Now, this period that we're talking about, we are talking about mere weeks after the Hebrews have left Egypt in this story of Deuteronomy chapter 1. You, you may remember, like how many years? Y'all can shout it out. How, how long did they wander in the desert before they entered the promised land? Somebody shout it out. 40 years. Did you remember that this was the second time God told them to take the land, not the first? Do you know how long after they left Egypt it took for them for God to say, I have a land, I have prepared it for you, I have looked through, it is ready, I'm going before you, you are now going to go take this land. Do you know how long it took from the time they left Egypt to the time God told them that? Anybody know? It took less than two weeks. So I want you to unimagine all that you've heard about the Exodus, and I want you to recognize that when God brought them out of Egypt, Within two weeks, it took them about 12 days to travel to the place where he said, I want you to go in and take the land. And this is where we're going to engage our story today. What happened from that 12 days after leaving Egypt? Why did it then take another 40 years before they actually got to take it? Ah, you got a question? Okay. Okay. All right. Hey, you're taking my sermon. <laughs> Knox is get detailing Deuteronomy 1, verses 21 through 46 right now. Hey, would you let me read it? And then I'll let you jump back in here in a minute if you'd like to, Knox. Will that work? Oh, that's all you had to say. Okay, good. Okay. All right. Um, it will come up with something else, yes. Let's look, start with verse 21. And with, let's recognize that as we are trying to live a life in which we are following Jesus as essential, that there is a, a very real sickness within us, a, a difficulty that we struggle with, and an obstacle that keeps us from following the way as we've been describing it for the last couple of weeks. And it is on great display throughout this story. So let's, I'm going to read through it, and then we're going to talk through what we have read and what actually happens here and what are some of the core problems with us following the way 
as God would have us do that. In verse 21 of Deuteronomy 1, it says, See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Now, remember, we're talking 12 days after they leave Egypt is when this conversation happens. 12 days. Not 40 years. 12 days. Then all of you came near me. (coughs) Excuse me. This is Moses talking. All of you came near me and said, let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up and cities into which we shall come. The thing seemed good to me, Moses says, and I took 12 men from you, one man from each tribe, and they turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkol and spied it out. This is why this section is often called the spies or spy narrative because it's about the spies. The spies change the trajectory of the nation. And while we may not have spies in our own lives, what happens happens to us or we cause to happen all the time. Verse 23 says, The thing seemed good to me. I took 12 men. Verse 25, And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Yet you would not go up. Now Moses is telling this from the... This is not a first-hand telling, or it is a first-hand telling. He's not telling this as it's happening. This is He's reminding them. This is a memory. Yet, you all knew this happened, but you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to the heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakin there. Then I said to you, Do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes twelve days earlier. And in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carries you for the last twelve days, as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God. We'll come back to that verse who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. Let's, before we move on, let's summarize. So here we have God saying, I want you to go. I want you to take the land. I've gone before you. I've made your way straight. I'm going to go and give you the land. You just need to get up and take it. Now, don't miss what happens here because this happens to us all the time in our own lives. Their response is not, okay, let's get up and go. Their response is, why don't we go check this out for ourselves first? <laughs> let's get some spies. Now, now, spies were a good strategy because spies, if you want to take something and you're not exactly sure what you're getting yourselves into, you can send them in. And either they will come back and give you a report or they won't come back and you will know, oh, this is not good. Like, all our spies are gone. 
and yet they sent them in. And it's interesting what they tasked the spies to do, and that was go out and scout out the way and whether it's something that is good or not. And they came back, and they said, the land is good, but it is untakeable. The buildings are huge. The people are tall. We just look like tiny, tiny ants to them. And it says that their hearts melted. And their hearts melted because they were afraid. Now here is what happens to us sometimes. God says, here is my way. I want you to walk in that way. And we have a tendency to say, okay, but let me scout that out first. Let me see if that is, in my estimation, as good for me as you say it is. Now let's return to the story and see what happens uh, next. Verse 34, the Lord heard your words and was angered, and he swore, not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it. And to him and to his children, I will give the land on which he was, has trodden, because he has wholly followed the Lord. Even with me, the Lord was angry on your account. This is Moses again saying, I went along with you guys. Like, I should not have. But I went along with you. He's mad at me. He's mad at you. He, you remember when that happened. You also, even, it, it, excuse me, verse 37, even with me, the Lord was angry on your account and said, you also shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. And as for your little ones, who you said would become a prey, and your children, who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there. And to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. Twelve days after leaving Egypt, ready to walk into the promised land as a new nation, they balked and said, I am not sure that I can trust you, God. I am not sure that you're telling us the whole truth. I'm not sure that you have our best interest in mind here, God. And so we're going to check it out ourselves. And only those who were in leadership, who were adults at the time, who said, oh, yes, we should go, are the only ones that they themselves will enter the promised land. The rest of you will journey. And that begins the then 40-year wandering in the desert before they will then be able to return and enter into the promised land. God's angry. I'm no longer with you. I'm not going before you. I'm not giving you this land now. Well, what happens next perplexes many people, and it's one of the reasons we are often perplexed with God and why our lives are going the way that they're going. And it says in verse 41, Then you answered me, We have sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go up and fight, just as the Lord our God commanded us. Now, this is what this looks like. Um, so you tell, if someone tells you you're at work, you're at school, you're at home, and you have a job, go do the job. Oh, I'm going to think about doing the job, and I'm not going to do the job. Oh, okay, well, since you're not going to do the job, then this is your consequence for not doing the job. Oh, wait, 
I'll go do the job. I'll go do the job. I don't want the consequence. I'll go do the job. Then you answered me, we have sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go up and fight. In other words, whoa, 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 God, God. Now, wait a minute. Okay. Look, we're going. We're going now. Like, you've told us now we can't go. But listen, look at what we're sorry. We're really sorry. I'm, we're coming. We're going. Come on, come on, come on. Let's go, everybody. We're going to go fight, and we're going to take the land. And this is what happened. of war and thought it easy to go up into the hill country and the Lord said to me say to them do not go up or fight for I am not in your midst lest you be uh, defeated before your enemies so I spoke to you and you would not listen but you rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the hill country then the Amorites who lived in that hill country came out against you and chased you and and beat you down in Seir as far as Hormah And you returned and wept before the Lord. But the Lord did not listen to your voice or give ear to you. So you remained at Kadesh many days, the days that you remained there. Now this is a perplexing place because all throughout the history of Scripture, repentance has been that thing in which God has wanted from us. When you sin, repent. And when we read this story, it looks to, to all accounts, they are doing the very thing that we would want them to do, which is repent. Which would cause some to wonder and question, then why did God not receive their repentance, hear that they were sorry, and now they are willing to respond? Why is he not now going with them to make this happen? And that would assume the sin that they needed to repent from was actually going into the land. And I want to encourage you for the fact that perhaps the sin that they committed and the sin that we often commit is not that we didn't do the thing, it's actually the thing behind the thing, why we didn't do it in the first place. This is, for every one of you, for myself and for every person who has ever walked on the planet, their greatest struggle in life. It is something that you will struggle with from the day you're born to the day you die. And what, uh, what psychologists and what people who understand child development tell us is this very thing that we struggle with deep within our heart that causes us so much pain, so much trouble, and so much misunderstanding of what God is saying and what God is doing is so necessary for our development that if we don't develop this trait in some way, it will mess us up for the rest of our lives. What is that trait? you may ask. What is that deep core problem that we have within our hearts that is demonstrated so clearly here in this area? Before we do that, I do want us to remember two things. One, after all that this has happened, they do go up. They fight a battle. It is a terrible defeat. God has said, don't do it. I'm not with you. They did it anyways. They were defeated. They came back. And yet God still gave them another way. We'll come back to this in a minute. Like they've messed up big time. God still gave them another way. And then if we go on down to verse 1 of chapter 2, the very next verse, it says, Then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea, as the Lord told me. We'll come back to this because even when we fail, God is always there to show us another way. So I don't want us to enter into this conversation with the understanding or the belief that you mess up and then God is just done with you. 
That is not the way God works. God always is there to show another way. But we need to understand why this went so horribly wrong. Number one, God said, I have gone ahead of you. I have gone before you. I have made this plan. I have picked this place out for you. I have seen the large buildings. I have seen the large people. I know that you don't feel capable, but this is what I want for you. Get up and go. Now, I dare say none of you have heard that calling in your life to get up and go and to take a land. Now, you may have figuratively a land that God wants you to take, but he has not told you to get up, get with all your friends, get armed up, and then go in and take a land, that you know, sight unseen. That is probably something none of you have struggled with, but every one of us have struggled with a place where we say God has led us somewhere, and then we struggle to know, am I going to do it? Do I believe it? Because the problem that happens here is not just that they don't take the land. Clearly what we know historically is that God still gave them the land, even though it took another 40 years for them to get it. The issue was not that God they didn't get the land. The issue, what has always been an issue, and what will always be an issue for us, is that our hearts do not trust easily. If you've ever been in a relationship in which your trust has been broken, it is hard to rebuild trust. If you grew up in a house in which your parents did not uh, parent you in a way that they uh, instill trust in them, that they have what is best for you at heart, that they are working to help you, you have a tendency not to develop a very core basic need to learn to trust people. We begin with our parents, and then we spread out from there to our friends at school, to other relatives. And as you grow and as you age, trust is crucial if you are going to have healthy relationships with anybody. I, I will simply ask you this. Think of someone you don't trust. Are they a good friend? No. People we don't trust do not become good friends for the very reason we do not trust them. But here's what happens when we engage in a lifestyle for a lack of trust is we begin to become so focused on ourselves out of fear that everyone is out to get us that we will no longer be able to enter into a relationship that is healthy and growing and life-giving because I'm afraid you're going to hurt me. And so I'll just kind of close in. I'll just kind of take care of myself. If you want to do something for me, I'll question every motive you have for doing something for me. Because I don't trust you. What we know from those who work with young children that grow up in homes where there is a lack of trust in those that are leading that home is that they struggle to trust anyone after that. Their trust is almost always dependent on some kind of task or some kind of proving that you're trustworthy over and over again. And oftentimes will actually hurt the relationship because they, it's easier just to sabotage a relationship with someone you don't trust than it is to actually work through the issues that cause you not to be able to trust them. You realize that as we go back to the very beginning of the story of Scripture, the issue was not the fruit. The issue was the trust. We go right into the Garden of Eden. The problem is not that the, the serpent comes up and says, that looks like some good, good fruit. <laughs> like You should try that out. The issue was not the fruit. 
The issue was the fact that God has said, I've given you everything you need. I have prepared a way for you. I have prepared a place for you. I'm telling you, just walk in the ways in which I have given you, and you will be full, and you will be satisfied, and you will be uh, filled with joy, and you, I will walk with you. And what did the serpent come and say? The serpent didn't say, come and eat the fruit. The serpent came and said, you cannot trust him. Did he really say that if you ate from that, you would die? Because that's not going to happen. You can't trust what he's telling you. You can't trust that keeping you away from that tree was really good for you. He knows that you'll have an even better life because you'll be like him. If you'll just do this thing, you should not trust God. And if we're honest, at the core of every issue we have with God, there is an issue of trust or lack thereof. I would say every sin comes to the place of not trusting God. Um, but that's a bigger conversation. Uh, the question was, does every sin start with not trusting God? And, and at, at the core of how sin entered into the world, yes, absolutely. It was a lack of trust for God. And most of the time, the sins that we um, take on are the very problems uh, that happen when you don't develop trust in God. And that is, I am just not sure I believe when you tell me not to do something that I really shouldn't do it. When you tell me I should do something, well, I want to make that determination for myself because I'm not really sure I can trust that you really have what's best at heart for me. Now, as Christians, we would never say that. Like, we would never get up in front of a group of people and say, hey, listen, come to church with me. We go to a church where we don't trust God. Like, we would never say that, right? No one would ever say that. But yet, within our hearts, can we honestly say that we don't have moments where we look at God and say, God, I just, I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure. I mean, I, I, I know what you said, but listen, I'm going to send some people out to take a look at this and get another angle. And then I'm going to make my decision on whether this is something I should or shouldn't do. And if we're honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, I do this on a regular basis, you do this on a regular basis, and yet this is what God is constantly calling us to. He's constantly calling us to a place that says, no one is more concerned about what is best for you than me. And even when you doubt what I tell you, if you will trust me, I will work miracles in your life. Like, I will open up this land for you if you will just go in. So one of the problems with this story is like when we do sin, we, we're supposed to repent, right? And yet what we often find are that the consequences of our sin still follow us even if we've had a moment of repentance, don't they? Like we want to repent and then God to be like, oh, okay, that was that was a close one. That You almost, ooh, okay, wipe that one out. But boo-hoo, I thought they were going to get that consequence. But that's not how God works, because the way God works is he still gives us those consequences for those actions, which is exactly what happens to the Hebrew people, millions of people who are needing a place to go, and yet 
The issue was not because they didn't trust him to go into the land. It, well, that was the issue. The issue was not that they didn't go into the land. The issue was that they didn't trust God when he said, this is what I'm doing for you. He needed them to learn this lesson because they were going to have to learn to trust him because he knew what his plans were for them. There is a place where we have to begin to develop this trust. When God tells us to go or to do or to obey, what he is saying is, I have gone before you, and this is good. When we read scripture and a culture says, you know what, that's bad stuff. You're not treating people fairly if you follow what the Bible says. Listen, God has already said, I'm already gone before you. This is what is good. I don't trust you, God. I want to enter into this relationship that's unhealthy. I don't trust you, God. I'm going to take a shortcut and I'm going to steal just a little bit. I'm going to cheat just a little bit to get that thing that I want because I'm just not sure it's going to happen otherwise. I'm not sure I trust you here. The issue of trust is the very issue that will determine whether we follow the way or whether we don't. And if we make it about anything else, then we are going to confuse the issue and we are going to talk about and pray about and do lots of things that never actually get to the core issue that I'm struggling to just trust God. I'm just struggling to just trust God. When we're able to say that, when we're able to admit that, then it opens up a whole different response and engagement with God. Yeah. So, so how does selfishness play into this? So selfishness, um, it depends on how you define selfishness. Selfishness in and of itself is self-centeredness. It is the very thing that happens, that sin causes within us. I want what I want, even if God says this is bad, so I'm going to do it because it makes gives me what I want. What God knows is that we don't see all the consequences that come along with it. But selfishness at its core is self-centeredness. And, and, and if, you, if you study the impact on children that grow up in homes that do not have parents that are trustworthy, then what ends up happening is they, they come into their bubble and they are focused on themselves. Like, I don't trust that anyone is, no one's looking out for me. I am going to look out for me only. And that is the birth of deep psychotic selfishness. Is I, I don't trust anybody. I'm just going to take care of myself. And that's why someone that comes out of that system comes into a marriage, and the marriage often falls apart because marriages don't happen, they don't last unless there's trust between people who are in the marriage. Or maybe you've committed, and as Christians, you know, the divorce rate among Christians is not great. You know, let's be honest. It's, and and some, some polls, it's even lower than the rest of the world. So it's not like we're the bastions of marital success because we're Christians. But what, for those that commit to their marriage and say, listen, I don't trust you, but I'm not leaving because God doesn't want me to leave, there is still that level of unhealth in which you are always questioning and you're staying and you become resentful because I don't trust that you really care about me. I don't trust that you really have my best at heart. I don't trust that you want good things for me. It causes us to then question the love of those people that love us who may be trustworthy, but we can't see it because what I see is just within my bubble because I'm so focused on me because I'm hurt because a lack of trust causes hurt. A lack of trust means we can't commit to someone. I can't commit into a relationship with you that no matter what, I'm with you. I, I am so blessed to have friendships that like I can misspeak or I can be I just have an outright down day and they're still my friends. 
But now I know a lot of people, if I have a bad day and I misspeak or I say something that's not kind, like it's done. Relationships over. But some of my most beautiful friendships are people that we have such a trust for each other that I believe in you even when you say or do something that does that feels hurtful. Because I trust you. I'm committed to you. Commitment to a relationship is not possible without trust. So therefore, commitment to God is not possible unless we trust him. So if we question him, say, God, I'm just not sure that this is the right move. What we are saying to him is, I'm just not sure I trust you. And that leads us into all kinds of problems and issues. I got to keep moving. I got to keep moving. Those are good questions. There, our real problem is that we don't trust God, his will, or his love for us. And so when we repent of not doing the thing, but we don't repent of not trusting him, we're repenting for the wrong thing, and that's why we get stuck in our faith, not recognizing the thing behind the thing. I didn't obey here because I didn't trust you, God. So we can repent from not obeying. There is less of a commitment of repentance to say, I commit or I repent for not obeying, than there is of saying, I repent for not trusting you. you, Am I making sense? Am I I speaking in circles? There's a difference. There's the thing behind the thing. And we begin to understand that thing. We begin to understand why people have a hard time following God, following the way, or or, or following. Listen, we got a whole question. I got to get through this. I'll hang out after for a few minutes if you want to come ask some questions. Because what I I want to point out here is that what people don't, the thing that people don't struggle with, Tim Keller said this, people don't struggle. People do not struggle with um, not believing in moral absolutes or that there is a God. Even people who say they don't believe there's a God really don't actually believe that there's no God. They struggle to trust God. What is God? And this is what Romans 1 is talking about. You can go in any society, any pagan society, and and while we may not agree with their right and wrong, uh, they have a system of what's right and what's wrong, even if they have an outright rejection of God. They will say, this is right and this is wrong. You should do this or you shouldn't do that. Even Paul, when he came down on the church, was like, listen, you guys let stuff happen in the church that even people who don't even know God or trust God know that that's not the right thing to do. This is what Romans 1 says about this. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Not that they are ignorant of the truth, but they suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that he have been made. In other words, you can't live in this world and say, honestly, there is no God. You can say, I reject whatever idea of God is out there, but you can't live in this world. Even the idea of of, uh, of you know, walking out of the ooze and there was an intentional design and, and we all just kind of became all the species. There's not really a serious scientist today that still believes that. Now, they may not say that God did it, but there's not really a serious person that believes in macroevolution today. That has been so debunked by so many scientists that, that really very few people still believe that. Maybe microevolution, like we 
kind of adjust to our surroundings, but not we become a different species. Like No serious scientist still believes that. When you look in the world around us, you cannot come to an honest place of saying, there's no way there's a God. But we can't say, I won't trust that God. And that, honestly, when people say, I don't believe in God, what they mean is, I don't trust that God. Not that there's not a God. He goes on uh, to say, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of a mortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. In other words, they did not like God because they did not trust God or His love for them, so they made their own God, and oftentimes that God becomes our self. All this that happened for them, and one of the reasons that this keeps coming up in Scripture, and he wants to remind them of this, is to remind them to trust God, which he has to remind us we need to trust God too. The reality is, is if we struggle to trust God, we're going to also struggle to trust other people too because that is where most of our confidence and trust comes from is our relationship with God. Why this is so important for us is why it's important that we are trustworthy people and it's why it's important that when God says to jump, we do ask how high, not, well, I'm not sure it's a good place to jump, God. And I want to remind us that God did not disqualify them from what his, his plan was for them, but he did make it that much more harder because they had to learn to trust him. And they would. The next generation would trust God, and they would enter into the promised land, and they got exactly what God wanted for them, and they found that it was exactly what God promised to them. I mean, for crying out loud, they overtook a massive city by going around and banging a bunch of pots and screaming, and, this, and, the, and the city fell. I mean, their testimony of the goodness of God. But see, in these 12 days, God had already demonstrated his faithfulness to them. He had already guided them. He had already gone uh, in front of them by day in a cloud and by night in, 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 as fire. Like he's consistently gone before them. And they've seen him do these, you know, it's 12 days since they saw those remarkable things God did. Turning the river red, locusts, the final plague of the angel of death coming over all those homes that didn't have the blood of a lamb over the doorpost. They had just, it's not been two weeks since God did all those things. They didn't trust him. And the reality is for us, if we don't learn to trust God or to trust others, we become incredibly self-focused, selfish, self-centered. Really, what we need to do at this point moving forward is we have to come to an honest place where we say, do I trust him? Do I trust him? If he says, don't do this thing, I'm like, God, I want to do that thing, but don't do this thing because I've gone before you. I've already seen it's not a good thing. Don't do this thing, but God, they're doing this thing, and they say it's a great thing. You know, I'm telling you, I love you. Don't do this thing. Okay, I'm just going to go ask them a little more about this thing before I make a decision about exactly what I do here. And that point, we've sinned. And the sin is not just the thing, because that, that's a thing, that's a sin. The sin is, I didn't trust you when you told me not to do this thing. Or when you told me to go do this thing, and I was like, ah, it's a pandemic. 
I don't know about this. God, I want you to do this thing. God, okay. Let me just, I'm going to ask Dr. Fauci if this is a wise thing in the midst of a pandemic. Like, we have access to Dr. Fauci. But you know what I'm saying? Do we trust God or do we not? Everything within our faith and in the area of repentance comes down to this issue. Do I trust God or do I not? The reality for us is this, that God has gone before you. And he is inviting you to follow his way. The question is, will we trust him? Will we trust him? When he says, I want you to know my word, he's saying, because I've gone before you. I know the way. This is the way. I want you to know my word. God, I just got other things I need to do right now. I mean, the new season just dropped on Netflix. Come on. Do we trust him that he says this is a good thing? When he says, I want you to spend time praying I want you to spend time talking to me. Uh, Listen, I've given you the Holy Spirit that's even going to pray for you when you can't pray for yourself, but I want you to spend some time praying. God, I know, but I... I've talked to some other people who said it's not that important to pray. I mean, it's good, but as long as I believe the right things, I don't have to do that. Well, so you don't trust me that I've gone before you and told you that this is good for you. When it comes to being generous, God, you just don't understand. If you looked at our books, I mean, I've talked to a CPA. He said, I can't be generous right now, but I'm telling you, be generous. The issue is not that we're not generous. That is an issue. The issue is that we didn't trust God when God said, I've gone before you. This is good for you. I love you. This is what I want for you. And we have to come and we have to begin to identify that. We read about this, and this is what I'm going to close with today. Proverbs 3, 5 and 8. Again, Old Testament. So this has been going all the way from the beginning in the Garden of Eden all the way through whenever Jesus is going to return again. The same call to trust. One of the reasons I wanted to hit the Old Testament is I wanted you to see that God is still calling us to the same place. If we are going to follow the way, if Jesus is essential, we must trust unconditionally. If you grew up in a system in which you had no trust in your system, no trust in your parents, no trust in your friends, maybe no trust in a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or a wife, you, you have been habitually trained to be distrustful. I, I want to remind you that Jesus, after being dead, laying in the tomb for three days, got up and walked out. Your heart needs to be reworked needs to be recreated. David said it this way. He said, God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. If you trust God, God says he can give you a new heart. Maybe not this organ, but that part of us that is broken and damaged. He says this in Proverbs 3, 5, and 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will make your, make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Next week we're going to talk about how does God actually show us the way? How does God actually speak to us? And we're going to take that from the Old Testament as well. So I hope that you'll join us either online or in person, and we'll have an opportunity to continue following the way. We have a reason for all this talk about the way. 
because there is a way through all that we are going through, and there is a way God is calling us to as we emerge on the other end of this pandemic. There is a way. He's gone before us, and he's calling us to follow him. We need to be prepared to do just that. We've got to assess within our hearts, do I fully trust God in what he says? Father, God, I, I believe you are trustworthy. I don't always live as if you are trustworthy, and I am thankful that just as you continued to allow them to, to journey on for the next 40 years, you were with them, and you, you, you performed so many incredible miracles just to sustain them and to keep them moving. I, I thank you that even when I don't trust you, you don't abandon me. You still have a way for me. Father, I pray that we would not hold our consequences against you because you told us, I've already gone before you. Just follow me. Just trust me. And I pray that you would open our eyes and open our ears so that we will more accurately and be a, we will just be able to discern what is the sin I'm committing here? Is it the thing or is it the thing behind the thing, which is we just are struggling to trust you. Father, we are in a moment right now in our culture, in our country, in our world that trust is in, in small supply. We don't trust anybody. God, you have called us to trust you. We have to, if we're going to love each other the way you've called us to love each other, we're going to have to trust each other. I pray that you would bring us to that place where we are not only trusting you, but we are trustworthy for those around us. Let us develop those kinds of committed, trusting relationships that the rest of the world goes, wow, I want that. Father, I pray that you would continue to speak to us and you would give us a heart of courage to follow you whenever you call us, even when the people are tall and the buildings touch the sky. I am going because you have gone before me. What can, How can anyone stand against me if you were with me? Give us that courage. Father, I pray for those that need a new heart today. They have, uh, they have lived their life in a place of distrust, and they need to learn to trust. I pray that you would begin to change their hearts. Give them a new heart, just as David prayed and just as David received that they can begin to have healthy relationships. They can trust you even if they couldn't trust their own father or their mother. They can trust you, their heavenly father. I pray that relationships would be healed that are broken right now for a lack of trust. I, I, I pray that we would be able to fully commit to each other even when we're still nervous that we will get hurt. demonstrated what that looks like. Let us follow in your steps. In Jesus' name we pray.